Let me pray. Father, thank you for today, this morning. Thank you for your presence, Lord God. And I pray that you would continue to minister to us today, Lord, that, that you would open up our heart and our mind to understand who you are in a deeper and deeper way, Father. We thank you for calling us to walk with you and calling us into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. True, true story. Um, a pastor and a taxi cab driver, they both died at the same time. <laughs> yes, and they found themselves standing outside the pearly gates of heaven, and St. Peter came up, and he greeted them, and then he took the taxi cab driver into heaven, and he took him to this beautiful mansion, just beautiful mansion overlooking a, a mountain view and a stream, and it was just beautiful, and the taxi cab driver was just absolutely elated. And then St. Peter came back to the pearly gates, and he took the pastor in, and he took him to this little shack, a shanty, not much of anything, and there's just a few pieces of furniture inside, and, and uh, you know, a small TV, and it was just nothing to it. And, and, and the pastor looks at uh, St. Peter, and he says, St. Peter, it has to be a mix-up here. You, you, you've made a mistake of some type. After all, I, I, I was a pastor. I, I preached to your people every Sunday. And St. Peter looked at the pastor, and he said, well, when you preached, people fell asleep. But when the taxi cab driver drove, they prayed. <laughs> so, anyway, that's my encouragement to pray. All right, I want to talk this morning about what it means to be out of this world. And uh, I think you'll understand what I mean that as we go on. I'm not talking about Christian space cadets who are so far out in spiritual space that they, they've become untethered from uh, scriptural and biblical realities. But we are a people of another kingdom. And we're not, we're not of this world, maybe in this world, but we serve another king. Now, if, if um, I, I think most of us here today are probably Christians, but it would be interesting to ask each person here what their story was. What, what made you decide to follow Jesus Christ? What made you decide to become a Christian, to be a, a Christ follower? Whatever your answer might be to that, John 15, 19 says this. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. And so what I want to do this morning is explore what it means when God says, I chose you, me, out of this world. What does that mean for us, and how does it work itself out in our lives? Now, looking at John 15, 19 again, this time in the Passion Translation, it says this, if you were to give your allegiance to the world they would love and welcome you as one of their own. But because you won't align yourself with the values of this world, they will hate you. I have chosen you and taken you out of the world to be mine. Now, one of the, the, the most significant thing, or first thing that struck me in this, is that God chose us. The creator, the, the, the Lord of the universe, he chose you and me. Just think about that. Out of millions of people in the world, he chose us. And Galatians 4.9, it, it, it says this, which is even more amazing. It says, but now that you have come to know God, 
or rather to be known by God. The creator, the Lord of the universe, he knows you and me. He knows everything about us, every thought, every pain, every hurt, every life experience. He's fully aware of who we are. And the second thing that stood out to me is that he chose us out of this world. Now, we remain physically in the world, but somehow, in some way, he's taking it out of this world. And I think Paul's making a distinction here between children of God and children of the world, between those governed by the Lord versus those governed by uh, the God of this world, those who bear the image of God versus those who bear the image of the world. And the third insight that I see here is that God gives us some, he gives us some insight into why he chose us. It says he chose those who refused to align themselves with the values of the world. True? All right, John 14, 12. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. One thing that verse communicates to me in light of what we're talking about here this morning is that we're no longer here to fulfill the Word's purposes for our lives, but we're here to fulfill God's purposes for our lives. God has great things for us as his sons and as his daughters, things that I think that we cannot even imagine. We've been chosen for something far bigger than anything that you and I probably have ever thought of. In fact, in John 15, in John yeah, 15, 16, looking back at John 15, 16 again, it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. God says, I chose you. Now, you may believe that you independently made the decision to choose God or to follow God. But somehow, in some way, God is the initiator of our relationship with him. And he led, he led us and he, he opened the door for us to have this incredible relationship with him. And, I, of course, I believe God makes that offer available to everyone. And, of course, there's those who choose it and those who don't. Now, what I want to look at is two words in, in that verse. First of all, it says, I chose you. It's interesting that that word means to select for oneself with the idea of showing kindness and favor to. To select for oneself with the idea of showing kindness and favor to them. And I appointed you. That word means to set in a place with a sense of purpose. In other words, God chose us. He selected each of us to show us kindness and favor he appointed us. He set each of us in a particular place in this life, giving to us purpose, meaning, and significance. It's incredible what God has done for us as his children and the doors that he's opened and is opening for us as, 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 as members of the family of God. You know, we live in a very troubled world, uh, disconnected in many ways from any sense of a divine creator or, or God. And as a result, I think our nation faces a serious identity crisis. And you can, you can see this in the high suicide rate. You can see this in the confusion over genders uh, and sex, and ignoring of biblical realities, 
you can see this in all this ESG and DEI stuff. Rational thought, the, the, the facts and truth about reality have been replaced by emotions and feelings. And uh, even our experts, even the latest Supreme Court justice, can't even define what a woman is. People are searching for something. They're searching to know who they are. They're searching to understand where they belong. They're searching to figure out how they relate to the world around them. And as a result of rejecting God, I believe people are trying desperately to be someone other than who God created them to be. Because they've rejected the Creator. And in essence, they are rejecting the Creator's purpose for their lives. And I believe thus all the confusion that we see, not just really in our country, but around the world today. And I, obviously, I think evolutionary teaching and atheistic teaching uh, is at the root of the problem. I believe every person was created to reflect some aspect of God. We were created to be his, uh, in his image, to be his image bearer. And our identity, I think, uh, uh, starts with understanding, first of all, who God is, and then understanding who God has made us to be. Um, now, John 15, 16, which I just read, gives us some ideas and understanding of that. Let me read it again. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now, why were we chosen and appointed? And this scripture really tells us that. It says, first, we were chosen and appointed so that we would go and bear lasting fruit. In Christ, our lives have purpose. We are earthen vessels, but we contain a rich treasure of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. God has given each of us a, a unique acts, a, aspect of his life and his grace to reflect to the world around us. And every person has value and something to contribute to society. So first, he selected us so we would go and bear lasting fruit. Second, it says that he selected us and appointed us so that whatever we ask of the Father in Jesus' name, he would grant to us. Think about what that verse says. Whatever we ask of the Father in Jesus' name, that he will grant that to us. You don't just give that authority to anyone. That's a pretty incredible statement. We've been adopted into the family of God. We're heirs of God. We're fellow heirs with Christ. And we are trusted members of God's family. And we have a high calling on our lives and a great responsibility to search out and to know God's heart, to discover truth, to uncover kingdom principles hidden in the word of God. Why? So that we will know the heart and mind of God, and therefore we will know what we should ask of the Father in Jesus' name. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, Fed, speak up. Yeah, we need some. <laughs> you know, too often we throw our prayers out without even considering whether God can answer those prayers or not. Just because we pray something, that does not obligate God to answer it. Right? First, I love 1 John 5, 14 and 15. I've read this verse many times here. 
But it says this, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. So what is the key here? Asking according to the will of God. And once we know what the will of God is, if we ask in faith, we can know assured that our requests have been heard and that he will respond to those prayers. But to know his will, you've got to take time to know God and understand his heart. Otherwise, we'll never know the will of God. We need to become students of God and students of his word. In Isaiah 55, verse 7, it says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Why? Verse 8, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Left up to our own devices, our desires are primarily carnal and self-seeking. Going on in verse 9, it says, God continues his, his, uh, what he's saying here, and he says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I believe before God is going to hear our prayers and do whatever we ask, we must first put aside our ungodly thoughts and ways. We must allow, God's, must allow our minds to be renewed and our affections purified. Why? So our thoughts and our heart's desire will align with God's thoughts, God's hearts, and God's desire, and I believe it's those prayers that God can answer. Now, in John 15, 19, that we looked at a moment ago, it says God chose us out of this world. Now, if God chose us out of this world, what parts of the world do we participate in? What parts should we avoid? As followers of Christ, how do we, how do we relate to the world that we live in? Now, I'm going to read a couple of verses out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This next verse has the potential of getting me into trouble. But I want to remind you that it's in the Bible. Amen. And I will come back to it and get it explained fully. Anyway, it says this, 1 Corinthians 7, 9. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. Now, the first thing that I take away from that verse is that it says the time has been shortened. In other words, this season in God's eternal time frame has an end, and that end is drawing nearer and nearer. And I believe in that God is asking us to live with a greater awareness of the eternal. That we would be seeking the heart and mind of God to understand who he is and the purpose and place that we have in his kingdom. James 4.14 says, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while that vanishes away. Now that's not a particularly encouraging verse. Um, but we do not know what tomorrow will will bring. So we need to live each moment of every day to its fullest. We need to take advantage of every opportunity that the Lord lays before us. We, didn't, we need to live in such a way that our lives exalt the Lord and fulfill his purpose for our lives. Amen? Amen. 
Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 17, it says this. Paul says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Be careful how you walk. The New Living says, be careful how you live. The New King James says, walk circumspectly. The Amplified says, live purposefully and worthily and accurately. The Message Bible says, watch your step, use your head. I believe our life here on this planet has significance, and it should not be lived happen chance. We've been born again to a living hope, and there is a supernatural element to our lives. Now, again, verse um, Ephesians 5.15, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. The New Living says, make the most of every opportunity. The New King James says, redeem the time. Uh, the, the Amplified says, buy up each opportunity. Buy back those things that the enemy's trying to steer from you. And the message says, says, make the most of every chance you get. You know, uh, maybe it's because I'm getting older. I didn't say I was old. I said I was getting older. Um, Time may be the most precious commodity that we have. Every minute of time slips into eternity past for either good or for bad. Right? And I need to consider, how am I redeeming the time that the Lord has given me? Again, verse 15 of Ephesians 5, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And verse 17, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the ultimate purpose of being careful with our time and how we live our lives? To understand what the will of God is for our lives. Again, I want to go back and... Look at 1 Corinthians 17, verse 29 and 30 and 31 again, just to make sure there's no misunderstanding in these verses. Let me read them again. But this I say, brethren, that the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this form of the world is passing away. Now, taking those verses as a whole, what I believe Paul is saying is that in our relationships, in our times of weeping and mourning, in our times of rejoicing and celebration, when buying a house or a new car and going off to work every day in our academic pursuits and whatever we do, that we would be careful of anything that would draw us away from our devotion to the Lord. Now, obviously, there are some distractions in life that we cannot avoid. And, and, and some, some of those distractions are actually responsibilities that we have towards our spouses, our families, work, church, wherever. And just to make things perfectly clear for husbands, when Paul says those who have wives should live as if they had no wife, he is not saying, guys, that we can now ignore the needs of our wives and families, that we can spend more time with the guys, that we can spend more time watching TV and sports. He is saying 
that every aspect of our lives, even our family life, needs to be lived for the glory of God. Actually, I, I believe for husbands, this means we're called to a higher calling in our relationship with our wives and our families. So how do we live as a couple? How do we live as parents? How do we live as a family? And to love our spouses and families and children and take care of our relationships, to glorify the Lord in the middle of, of everyday responsibilities. Now, obviously, I, I would say this. Obviously, there's a place to relax and take time, unwind, and have fun. But we need to be developing an, a growing awareness of the eternal purposes of God in our lives. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says this, All things are lawful to me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. This verse has always stood out to me, and I think there's a lot of significance in it. And we might ask ourselves, are there things in our lives, activities, possessions, that dictate to us how we use our time, how we use our resources, how we use our energy? Are there things that have become our masters instead of us being their master? Just think about that for a minute. I have, since I retired, gotten into a little bit of gaming. So I would classify myself as a gamer at one level. And I just want to speak to some of our young people, maybe some of our older people as well. But things like gaming can be addictive. And I've watched people get so addicted to it that they cannot get away from it. We need to be careful about entertaining anything that draws our devotion away from God. I would say the same for sports. Some guys are so committed to sports, they have to watch every sport event there is on TV to the neglect of their wives and their families. And there's any, any other number of things uh, that you can look at my own addiction to gaming. You can look at all those things. Um, so we need to be careful how we live the lives God's given us, how we use the time he's given us, what we're doing with our lives, what we're not doing with our lives. I, I would say this as an aside. Everything we own, every activity we are involved in takes the sliver out of the pie, which is our lives. And you can only divide the pie up in so many ways. And we need to decide what pieces of the pie are bigger than others and what we're going to cut our pie up into and what we're not going to cut our pie up into. Um, Paul also speaks in that verse, in 1 Corinthians 7, he speaks of being careful in how we weep or mourn and being careful in how we rejoice or celebrate. Now, there's a, there's a story in the Old Testament in, Sam, in uh, 2 Samuel. Um, King David's son gets very ill uh, to, the, to the point of facing death. And um, I won't go into why his son is ill, but he's sick. And so David wept. David fasted. David cried out to God that God would save his son, that God deliver his son, that God would heal his son. But as soon as his son died, it says that David got up, washed his face, and worshiped God. That's an astounding verse to me. 
He's cried out to God. He's fasted. He's prayed. He's sought the Lord with all his heart. As soon as his son dies, he gets up. He washes his face, his face, and he goes in and he worships God. Now his servants were perplexed by David's response to all this, and so they asked him about it. And he says this in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. I just think that's incredible. This is an Old Testament believer. I think that's incredible insight into eternal realities and a picture of David's deep faith in God and in his word. He knew that his son was not returning to him, but that he would see his son in the next life. He believed in resurrection, life after death. And I think in some ways, David had a greater uh, revelation of spiritual realities than, it, than even many New Testament believers have today. Now, secondly, when, when David, underst David understood when it was time to mourn and it was time to get up and go on with life. Uh, now, I don't want to be insensitive to this. I know that there are many stages of mourning and people mourn in, in a variety of ways. And I've been through my own difficulties in my own life. But I believe when Paul says, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, he's encouraging us not to lose our eternal perspective and faith in God, even in earthly tragedies or loss, and even in good times when things are really going good, that we would not forget God and get distracted from our devotion to him. Lastly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 30, Paul says, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. In other words, we need to hold things lightly. Use them while we have them, but be ready to release them. Houses, cars, whatever, they, we, we might be asked to give them up at any time. Everything that we have belongs to the Lord, and we need to hold on to it lightly. First, Peter, First Timothy 6, 7 says, For we have brought nothing into this world, and we take nothing out of it either. Now, again, just a little aside here. Keep in mind that every possession you have, every possession you own, demands some part of your time or energy or resources to use it, to clean it, to maintain it, and repair it. And men, in particular, who are sometimes no more than grown-up boys, have a lot of toys. Every one of those things takes a part of your time. And we need to ask the Lord, what is a good way to spend our time and what is not? Is there anything in your life hindering your devotion to God? And so I think each of us must ask God, what part of the world can we be involved in? What part can we not be involved in? And I think the answer is going to be different for each person. Uh, Colossians 3, chapter one, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not the things that are on the earth. We need to be asking God for a greater awareness of, this, of spiritual realities and his eternal purposes for our lives. 
And I believe as the things above become our focus, the more the things above become our focus, the less attachment and pull the things of this earth is going to have on us. And he goes on in uh, uh, Colossians 3, he says, verse 3, For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. Who's going to be revealed with Christ in glory? Those who have hidden their lives in him. It's those who have hidden their lives in Christ that are going to be revealed with Christ in glory. And the more we pursue the things above, the more um, they will become regality in our lives and the less hold this world's going to have on us. Amen? All right, let me just wind this up with a few thoughts here. Consider what Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 13. He says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I've used this verse many times as well. God has transferred us out of the kingdom of this world, transferred us into his kingdom. He's essentially given us a one-way ticket out of this world into the kingdom of God. Now, some of us try to buy a, a ticket back, but that's not a good idea. Um, <clears throat> we're not of this world. We've been transferred out into the kingdom of God. Jesus makes a very strong statement in Luke chapter 9, verse 62. He says this. Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and he said, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. They used to um, plow rows for planting with an ox and some kind of hand plow thing that the that the farmer would hold on to. And if he would be looking over his shoulder, the straight lines that they wanted to plow, they would drift off those straight lines. And I think the same thing's true for us. As we look back over the shoulder at the old world, the old life, we're going to drift away from the purposes that God has for us. And so we need to keep our focus on the Lord. I, I like this quote by Soren Kiergegaard. I don't know. You know his name? Said no. Okay. Well, I can't pronounce his name. But anyway, he says this: Faith is a risk, an adventure that requires the denial of oneself. The tragedy of easy Christianity is that existence has ceased to be an adventure and a constant risk in the presence of God, but has become a form of morality and a doctrinal system. This is just paganism, cheap Christianity, with neither cost nor pain. In other words, we tend to create belief systems that keep us safe rather than taking faith chances. You know, I, I do not want to be found unfit for the kingdom of God. And, I, and I, I know there's still many ways that the world plays a bigger part in my life than it should. And perhaps you've struggled with the same thing. It's good to remember that we're all a work in progress. We serve a good and a gracious God who understands our frailty, and he is for us. He is for us. Remember, the creator has chosen you to show you favor. The creator has appointed you to do great things. The creator has filled you with his Holy Spirit. 
The Creator has imparted a unique portion of His grace to you. And the Creator has given you spiritual gifts and natural abilities, not just to build you up, but so you can build up and bless others. God wants us to be successful. He's not working against us. God is for you. God is for me. And He's great plans for our lives. As Jesus said, we must learn to pursue the Lord with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I have a moment or two, I think. Let me tell a story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not great at storytelling, but I'll try. Um, how many remember the Forrest Gump movie? <laughs> wow, it's more than I thought. That, you know that movie was 1994? <laughs> 30 years ago? Some of you weren't even born then. <laughs> anyway, just for information, Forrest Gump was kind of a slow-witted but very kind man from the backwoods of Alabama. And so Forrest Gump died, and he found himself standing at the pearly gates again, and St. Peter was there. And uh, St. Peter welcomed uh, Forrest, you know, glad to see you, Forrest. You know, we've got a lot of people here right now, and so uh, we've put together a a three-question entrance exam that you're going to have to pass if you're going to get into heaven. And uh, Forrest says, okay, let me know what it is. And uh, St. Peter says, okay, there's three questions. Number one, which two days of the week begin with the letter T? Number two, how many seconds are in a year? And number three, what is God's first name? Well, Forrest Gump takes the first question, what are there two days in the week that are begin with the letter T? And he said, that's easy, today and tomorrow. Peter looks at him, kind of perplexed, and says, that wasn't what I was looking for, but I guess I'm going to have to give you credit for that one. <laughs> All right, what about the second question? And Forrest Gump says, well, how many seconds are there in a year? And Forrest Gump says, 12. St. Peter just, what in the world? How did you end up with 12? Well, he said it's simple. January 2nd. February 2nd, March 2nd, April 2nd. There's 12 seconds in a year. St. Peter looked at him perplexed, but couldn't do anything but give him credit for that question too. Um, And the last question uh, uh, Forrest Gump was, what is God's first name? Forrest Gump said, well, his first name is Andy. (laughs) St. Peter's looking at him, what? First name is Andy? How did you come up with Andy? Well, well, he said, we used to to sing this song in church, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own. So his first name is Andy. (laughs) All right, now, there was really a purpose in telling that story. Forrest Gump had a way of looking at things from a different perspective. And uh, sometimes I think it's good for us to step step back from our lives and examine our lives and and try to look at our lives from a different perspective, maybe try to look at it from God's perspective, but to, to really take some time and look at our lives and ask God, you know, what should I change in my life? Does anything need to be changed? What should I change? Um, what do I need to take out of my life that might be hindering my devotion to you, Lord? Lord, 
um, uh, what, maybe there's something I need to put in my life that would further my walk with you or my devotion to you. And so I think there's a place for us as well to maybe try to have a little different perspective on who we are, to, to step back and to ask God, God, am I pleasing you right now? Is there anything in my life that you're not happy with? Anything hindering me in my walk with you, Lord? Is there something I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing? Is there something I'm not doing that I should be doing? And so I just would encourage each of us. Uh, like I said, I believe God chose us to show favor toward us. And he appointed us because he has great purposes for our lives. And he's given us a sense of purpose and meaning. And I believe every person here is valuable in the eyes of the Lord. And every person here has something to offer. Every person here reflects a unique aspect of God's grace. Every person. Even those you might think are weird. Every person reflects a unique aspect of who God is. And we get to be image bearers of the living God. We get to demonstrate to the world by the way we live our lives who God is and how important we are in his eyes. And so, um, what time do you want to end? What time do we end? 11.37? Oh, I thought you were saying you need to end at 11.37. <laughs> yeah. Uh, could you set the band up for a moment? Uh, we're just going to do a quick song. And uh, um, I, I want to just encourage us to do this. Uh, as the band comes up and they lead us in this, uh, this song, this will be the closing song, and Keith, you can close out after this song. Um, I just want to open the altars if you want to come up and just seek the Lord, you know, and ask God, God, help me to look at my life the way you look at my life. Help me to see you the way you see me. Help me, God, to evaluate how I'm living my life, what I'm doing, what I'm not doing, and what you would have me, how you would have me change that. So um, as the team begins to worship, uh, please uh, take a moment, uh, whether you're in your chairs or whether you come up forward here, and just ask God to speak to your heart. Uh, this morning about what he has for your life and how he views your life. Amen? Thank you.